0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Keep or Cut, a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. I'm Pete Ball, joined as always by Chad Young. You can follow us at at Keep or Cut. You can follow me at at baseball, and you can follow Chad at at Chad Young. Chad, what's going on, dude? It's the end of the season.
1: I know. This is, I think we said it last time, but this time for real, it's our last regular season episode, and I'm in the the, the weird position. I feel like it's been a while since I've been in this position where like, I sat down to watch the Guardians game today. Like, I'm still interested because they still have stuff to play for, but they don't have anything to play for in the regular season. It's the game was just, I don't know, it just felt like they were just going through the motions, which is fine. I'm fine with that.
0: There's nothing wrong with that, staying healthy. The Red Sox were also going through the motions like they have all year, taking a 10-0 loss. So, yeah, things are are winding down here. Chad, we were going to continue our discussion of players that are hard to value for next season. Um, we've added to our list. So folks, if you remember from our last episode, we got like through, I don't know, I'd say about halfway through our list and we've added a few names to that. Um, especially based on the production that we've seen in the last week, but I kind of want to just jump right in. Cause I'm excited about the, uh, one of the names on here that I wanted to talk about. He's a player who's definitely had like the definition of an up and down season, be it injuries or just poor performance, but then every now and then he goes off and that is Seiya Suzuki. Now, Chad, I don't know if you remember, but he was not available in the keeper cut New listener league. Um, and then he ended up like going for like, tw- I don't know, let's say it was like twenty three dollars. And there's been times this yeah. season, like the first couple of weeks of the season where that looked like ev- even at that price, like great value. And then as the season went on, it looked terrible. And now all of a sudden he's getting hot again. So say a Suzuki, break him down.
1: Yeah, I, so Suzuki, there was just a conversation about him in the Auto News Slack today where somebody was asking, like, oh, man, he had another home run today. Uh, just so we're, we're recording this on Saturday the 1st for those who are listening. And so you know, he had another home run today, and now I'm wondering if I should keep him at $30. And I was like, man, $30, that isn't that isn't where I expected that line to be on him. Um, And, and I think what that speaks to, and the conversation basically went from, like, one or two people basically saying like, yeah, $30, I could see that. And a couple of people being like, I have a tough time deciding what to do with him at $20. And so it gives you a sense of just, there. there's a pretty wide range of where people view him. And, you know, his average salary across all leagues right now is $21. It's his median salary is $21 and not of new. And, and I think, People are going to have really tough keeper decisions on him all over the place because his prices were all over the place, whether or not are new or other formats. And his production, like you said, has been so up and down. And, you know, just to sort of speak to that, like if you go look at his monthly splits for WRC plus, right, which is like my my go to overall offensive statistic, 158 in March and April. That is fantastic. 73 in May. Oof. 119 in June. Pretty solid. 97 in August. Below average, very bad for a fantasy outfielder. 161 in September and October. Like, he is, he's had two just absolutely brilliant months. Two months that, from a fantasy perspective, make him a cut. And then one month that's fine. It's, it's not great, but it'll do. And so, I, I don't know. I mean, I think... You know, what you do with him, I think, will depend a bit on what your format is. And so, like, in five-by-five five leagues, I'm not sure he does a ton for you. Like, he walks a decent amount, so his on-base percentage is good, and that helps him out in points leagues, out new things like that. But, like, he hit 13 home runs and stole nine bases – you know, he only played, he's played 106 games so far. He's gonna end up, you know, obviously 110-ish. He'll probably end up with about 450 played appearances. And like, those numbers prorate to maybe 17, 18 home runs, maybe a little less, and like 12 stolen bases. And that's fine. That's not that's not hurting you, that's for sure. He's got a 266 average, also not hurting you. Um but he's not scoring a ton of runs or driving in a ton of runs because of his team. We'll see if that gets better going into next season. But at the end of the day, I I think what, what happened with him, when you look at that sort of monthly fluctuation, I think a lot of that is just the league adjusting to him, him adjusting back, him getting used to playing in the United States. Like there's a lot of things that have sort of, there's a lot of reasons that a guy coming from another league, from another country into, you know, it's a challenging transition, and it it makes sense that there are some fluctuations there. And you can see that, like, his walk rate has been up and down. It was 16.7% in March and April. The lowest it was was 4.5% in July. His strikeout rate has been as high as 30, 32.9% in May, as low as 19.3% also in July. So in July, he was just more aggressive than any other, other month, more or less. So, I, yeah, I'm... I'm I think that a lot of what you're seeing in this up and down is his best and his worst as he adjusts and the league adjusts back and then he counter adjusts. And I think that his overall line for the season is probably fairly accurately reflecting what he would do, what what I expect him to do next year. I think he'll basically put up the, the same season, just probably with a little bit less Wild swings in performance.
0: Yeah, no that that totally makes sense. It brought up a lot of good points there. Number one, I I think some of, somewhat of his value is going to depend on how much the Cubs improve because you look at those counting numbers and I don't know I I felt like they should be higher. He's not going to hit the the sixty mark in either runs or RBI, which I think he'll he'll do with ease next year, assuming he stays healthy. I, he's kind of interesting because he, he reminds me a little bit, just looking at the at the numbers here of, of Kevin Biggio's problem a couple of years ago, where there's a real lack of aggressiveness. I mean, it, it's weird to see a strikeout rate of about 25% and yet a chase rate that's just so good. He's in the 89th percentile in, in chase rate. So, you know, is that just his game or is that something that he can improve upon, just be a little bit more aggressive in the zone as he gets more comfortable in the major leagues? It does kind of feel like those prolonged slumps; those felt longer than these these periods of extreme production. So, assuming things level off, maybe my expectations for him are a little bit higher. And then finally, he's got what he has going for him is the position, where in five outfielder leagues, I mean, Say Suzuki is could be like you know your third outfielder, fourth outfielder at worst. So, I'm going to be in on him next year. Um, But the, the the back and forth, I mean, for head to head leagues especially. Those weeks where if this is who he is and he's going to go, you know, one for 27 some weeks or whatever, that just kills your team. And it happened to me in quite a few leagues this year. So
1: I'm not sure we have any good reason to assume that he's this this up and down, this streaky. Like, maybe he is, but I'm willing to sort of write that off and assume that his, like I said, like his overall production is where he's going to end up. The, The lack of aggression is an interesting one because he's... I was just pulling up a leaderboard out of 195 players with 400 plus plate appearances, his O swing. So his chase rate, right? Swings on pitches outside the zone is 25.8%. It's the 31st lowest. Um, It actually might be tied for 30. Nope. It is. It's 31st lowest. That's pretty good, right? It's, you know, he's, he doesn't chase very much, but his Z swing is the fifth lowest. There are a total of eleven players with an under sixty percent z-swing on that list, right? So eleven players who swing less than sixty percent of the time on pitches in the zone with four hundred plus play appearances. There are one, two, three, four guys: Connor, Joe, DJ Lemayhew, uh, Jonathan India, and Seiya Suzuki. Oh, and a fifth: Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. So Kiner-Falefa, Joe. India LeMayhew, and Suzuki are the only guys who swing under 60 percent in the zone and over 25 percent outside the zone and that's like it's it's not super encouraging I mean is a very good hitter but hasn't been great this year India has been up and down this year as well Connor Joe had a disappointing year kind of is not a very good hitter like there isn't a lot of company down there with with guys who are like, yeah, that's a legitimately good bat. And I don't, you know, again, that could just be him figuring things out. He's still adjusting. Like I I suspect, I don't know this, but I suspect that American umpires and Japanese umpires don't call the zone the same way. It seems unlikely that they would, um, given what we know to be sort of the nebulous description of the zone and the rule book and the fact that the rule books might be different. And there's probably just different. So Maybe some of it is that, right? Maybe he's still learning the American strike zone. That would make total sense. But it just is a little bit, I don't know. I, I don't look under the hood with him and see something that makes me think like, yeah, those hot streaks, he's going to just be that. Like that's who he is. His, his swing data doesn't show me that. His batted ball data, like his ex is a little bit lower than his overall woba. His woba on the season is a three thirty seven. His ex woba is a three twenty eight. That's not everything, but it's not like he crushes the ball. Thirty nine point nine percent hard hit. The eleven point two percent barrel rate is pretty good, uh, and it suggests that he has a pretty tight distribution of his launch angles. That he, he's doing a pretty good job of hitting in sort of ideal launch angles on a pretty regular basis, which would, which, which is good. Um, but there's just nothing. There's not a lot that I look at that I'm like, yes, this guy is a star on the verge of breaking out. The biggest thing working in his favor and the thing that will make me want to take some bets on him next year is just that I think it's hard to adjust to a new country and a new league. And there is a chance that this year was just him struggling to adjust and next year will be better. My my, my bet is he ends up very similar final, final numbers, but I'm willing to... I'd be willing to take up some risk on some upside. Cause I do think there's upside beyond that.
0: No, that makes sense. And folks, again, that's say a Suzuki of the Cubs. Since we're on the topic of inconsistent production. um, I, I think we have to jump to Tyler O'Neill next, Chad, Tyler O'Neill, who was a darling for a lot of people entering the season. And how could he not be after the season he posted last year where I, oh, yeah. I I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I mean infinite stolen bases, tons of home runs. Uh, he really did it all. And if I told you that at the end of the season the Cardinals would be a shoe in for the playoffs and they're going to win the division, you would have assumed Tyler O'Neill must have kept it going. But he absolutely did not. Um, he spent a lot of time in the IL, uh, and when he was healthy, he, I, I don't know. I don't roster him in a lot of leagues, but his hot streaks when he had them were not as long as Sayo Suzuki's were. They were a lot shorter in length. Uh, it was a tough year for Tyler O'Neill. So let's start with a, a quick transition of who are you valuing more next year, Suzuki or O'Neill?
1: Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, it That might be a format question. It also may depend on what the Cardinals do in the offseason. So while O'Neill obviously did not come close to matching his numbers from last year, he still has 14 home runs and 14 stolen bases and 383 plate appearances. If he looks like he's going to get 500, 550 plate appearances again next year like he did last year, I think he's sort of a lock for a 2015, maybe 2020. And I don't think you can say that about Suzuki. And then we know that he has the upside of what he did last year, which was 34 home runs, 286 average, 15 stolen bases, and he's in a much stronger lineup, which means the runs and RBIs will be more readily available. He actually, like, in fewer played appearances, fewer games played, and with a much lower batting average and lower on base percentage than Suzuki, he has more runs and RBIs. So, I I think at 5 by 5 I I would go with O'Neal. like an auto new points league, I think I would go with Suzuki. I think he's a safer play because when O'Neal's not hitting for home runs, he just, the average is so low. The hits are so few. The on-base percentage is, it, it's fine, but like this year it's real bad. <laughs> it's it's a 308. It was 352 last year, but a lot of that was driven by a much higher batting average, which I don't think you can rely on because he strikes out so much. So, I think that's my answer is in in, you know, where runs and RBIs and stolen bases count. Give me O'Neal and where they don't or they don't count as much. Give me Suzuki.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I think I think in both I'm going to try to spin the wheel on O'Neal one more time, just because, as you said, we saw that ceiling. I do wonder as we transition the talk to being more O'Neal focused. He's not by any stretch of the imagination like some dead pull hitter or anything like that. But I do wonder if he's going to benefit from the shift players like him who have to post high babbitts. They just have to like hobby Baez comes to mind where guys who are going to strike out so much that when they put the ball in play, they need it to go for hits more than, you know, the next player. I think that could work out well for O'Neill. He has the exit velocity. He has the speed. And now you're forcing defenders to play a certain way. Now, of course it comes to, well, is he getting shifted currently? I'm, I'm trying to pull up those numbers right now, but just the fact that defenders are going to have to play in a certain position against the guy that puts the ball in play like that and relies on Babip, I just think it makes it more likely that he could return to posting absurd BABIPs because you look at the difference between last year and this year. Um, you know, last year when he had that monster season, he had a 366 Babip. This year that's down to 277. That's obviously a cavernous difference. I don't think that the shift or anything like that is going to bring it back, or or I should say the absence of the shift or anything like that is going to bring it back up to 366. And as I said, he might not even get shifted that much as it is. But could we see even a 30-point increase in that Babbitt where he's a career 320 guy, and all of a sudden everything starts to look a lot better for him? I think that could certainly happen.
1: It, It could. And I think you know, there's some interesting stuff that changed within this year. But the first thing, and this is sort of interesting, last year when he sort of destroyed the world, he went from being a 45-ish percent pull hitter down to 38%. Last year, he posted the lowest pull percentage, the highest center percentage, right? So balls up the middle, and the second highest oppo percentage of his career. So he didn't, you know, he's not one of these guys who, who got a breakout by suddenly turning on everything. He actually did the opposite. This year, he basically reverted back to what he had been before, and started pulling the ball forty forty six point six percent. He's actually going to set a career high. It looks like in pull percentage. So, you know, it's funny because like I feel like as a analytically minded baseball fan, I'm constantly annoyed listening to announcers who are like, "This guy needs to learn to use all fields." Oh, what a nice job going the other way with that ball and stuff like that. And it's like. Okay, yes, there are pitches that all you can do is go the other way with, and it's nice when they do that, but, like, that's not actually how you dominate baseball. For O'Neill, it looks like it kind of was, right? That was, like, a big factor for him last year, it seems like, as he used all fields much better than he has in any other year in his career, and it coincided with the highest exit velocities of his career, the highest barrel rate, the highest hard hit rate. Like, he was punishing the ball. And that's really the thing that stands out to me is when you look at his his X stats and his, his stat cast numbers and things like that, he's just not hitting the ball the way he did last year. And if you go look at, a, I'm trying to pull it up real quick right now. If you go to Baseball Savant, there's a swing-take tool. Take-swing, swing-take, I can't remember what they call it. But they have it. they have a leaderboard for it, but they also have it for each player's page. It's called the... Swing take profile. So if you look at a guy's swing take profile, what it will show you is how often they swing and how often they take pitches in four different zones. The heart of the zone, which are basically those like, this is clearly a strike, it's over the plate, you should be hammering it. The shadow zone, which is either just inside or just outside the strike zone. It's pitches that, you know, if you think about like human error in umpiring, these are pitches that theoretically could go either way. Um, it's a, it's a little bit of a, a generalization. Some of them are clearly strikes, and some of them are clearly balls, with around the edges. Then there's the chase zone, which are pitches outside the zone, but that hitters might swing at. And then there is what they call the waste zone, which is you know pitches so far outside the zone that they're they're wasted. They serve no purpose. Last year, and comparing to this year, O'Neill had. He was swinging more in general last year. So in all four zones, he swung less, sorry, he swung more last year than he did this year. He was more aggressive. In the heart of the zone, so one of the things they, they calculate is positive or negative runs based on swings in each of those zones. So what they're basically saying is like when O'Neill swings at pitches in the waist zone, in the chase zone, shadow, whatever, how much much does he add value or detract value versus the average hitter? And same thing for when he takes pitches in or outside the zone, right? So if you think about it like a positive run thing, positive runs for takes are going to be like, this guy is really good at taking pitches outside the zone. He never swings at pitches he shouldn't. And so he gains value by doing that. Positive on swings is when this guy swings to these pitches, he hits them well. He's swinging to pitches he can hammer, and he's hammering them. O'Neal last year made a huge, huge amount of his value by hammering pitches inside the heart of the zone. So he had a total of plus 25 swing runs on pitches inside the zone, in the heart zone. This year, on, pick, on those same pitches, He was negative two swing runs. Almost everything else is the same. He had very little movement on his swing take profile in his takes in the zone, which are obviously, you know, in in heart. Like the takes in the heart are always bad, but doesn't mean you shouldn't take sometimes. Very little change in that. Very little change in a swing or take um, results in the shadow. He went from negative 16 swing, negative four take in the shadow. To negative 12 swing and zero take in the shadow. So a little bit of improvement there. Very little change in the chase. Very little ch- like He just was basically the same guy for all those pitches. But on those pitches over the heart of the plate that he just smashed last year, he was much worse when he swung. He just wasn't getting the same results. And that ties back to what I was saying about his stack gas data, that his exit velocities were down. His barrel rate is way down from where it was last year his hard hit rate is way down from where it was last year and I don't know that I can really point to why that is right like why would a guy suddenly start just absolutely or stop just absolutely punishing pitches in the zone but that that's what happened
0: yeah, that's actually really fascinating. I've never seen this page to Stackcas before. It looks like I'm looking at like a science textbook or something. It gives me some PTSD from 7th grade, but um that is that is fascinating. Uh and I, I mean, you almost hate to leave it this way, but like I don't know if there is an answer to that question the way he's being pitched does not look that different at least in terms of the pitch tracking breakdown of fastballs breaking and off speed like I I don't know what the answer is. Um I did wanted to bring up uh, that I would look up his his numbers against the shift. And I don't know if you remember Chad, but a couple of weeks ago we talked about the the rule changes and I said that when I was researching this for an article last offseason that like I, I couldn't find numbers that were that sticky year to year in terms of the shift and how it impacts particular hitters. And I think O'Neill's actually a unique case where if you look at the shift data on um, baseball savant, which Again, when they're looking at WOBA, they're they're not they're accounting for home runs and walks as well on Statcast, whereas in Fangraphs they're not, which is annoying because it it just kind of muddles the numbers for what we're looking for. But his WOBA last year against no shift was three forty nine. His WOBA against the shift was four fifty one. So like he was much better inexplicably when shifted against. But then you look at this year, and if you just looked at this year, you would think the shift played a serious toll on him where his WOBA with no shift was still bad at 326. But with the shift on, Tyler O'Neill had a WOBA of 264. And and by the way, I should have said this at the top. He gets shifted about a third of the time. Um, he was 33.9% of his appearances last year um, and 303 this year. So I do think that could play a toll. But the stuff about that swing-take profile, that is... That is fascinating and, and totally bizarre, and I, I feel like we're maybe leaving our listeners with more questions than answers. But Tyler O'Neill, the tools, at the very least, we can say are there. We just gotta we gotta see them come to fruition again.
1: Yeah, the one thing that I, and I'm trying to see if I can look this up, and I am honestly I'm not sure I can, at least not easily. I gotta see if I can find a way to look this up. I wonder. So his overall pitch breakdown isn't super different. So last year he was seeing 54% fastball, 54.3% fastballs. This year it's 51.4%. Last year he was seeing 36.5% breakers. This year it's 37.8%. So And, and then off speed went from 9.2 last year to 10.9 this year. So some movement there, right? About 3% down on fastballs and one and a half-ish percent up on, on both cur- up breakers and off-speed pitches. That could be a factor, although last year he... He was fine against both breaking balls and off-speed pitches. He was better against fastballs. This year, he's been good against fastballs and very, very bad against breaking balls and off-speed pitches. And I wonder if there's been a shift in how pitchers throw to him in the zone. Like, are they more likely to waste fastballs to make him try to, you know, and and to try to get curves or change-ups in the zone for strikes I don't know a good way to look that up immediately it's it's not super obvious, but I'm gonna see if I can pull it up at some point um I'm trying to think of who might have that data. It might be on his picture list page, so I'm gonna look there too but i I'm just sort of i don't know i guess i'm i'm i I'm perplexed <laughs> by why he just stopped being able to kill the pitch in the zone like he used to be able to because that really was what he like that was where he made his money last year was just if you threw him a pitch in the zone he hammered it and this year he's just not
0: I guess the the one thing that would come to mind for something like that is like is this an older player that's all of a sudden like we're seeing that that decline where they're having trouble catching up to fastballs and with Tyler O'Neill, that just does not seem to be the case. As a matter of fact, this year he had an expected batting average of two seventy nine against fastballs. So the exit velocity was there. He's hitting them on average ninety two miles an hour. I don't think it's a matter of being able to catch up and, and punish the fastballs. If anything, Chad, if we can't find answers, I'm I'm viewing this as a reason to be in on Tyler O'Neill next year. This seems this seems kind of fluky to me.
1: I, I'm it does. I just I just think when I look back at his career right now, it's last year that looks fluky to me.
0: Sure. Yeah, last year I right. think last, could be. Year that looks like the outlier. I think it could be an outlier in terms of like it's the extreme of his success. But I also think that like I don't think it was such an outlier that he can't like somewhat be that player. Like, I, if I draft Tyler yeah. O'Neill last year or this n- next year, I should say, if you're telling me he's going to get 550 plate appearances, like he's going to stay in the field, I'm expecting nothing for batting average. But how do you not expect 25 homers and 15 steals?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I don't disagree. I just, I don't know that he's going to get that many plate appearances next year because of how much he struggled this year.
0: And there you have no shortage of prospects.
1: Right, and, and you know, some of what he lost in playing time this year was injuries, but some of it was just him not always being their first choice guy, I don't think. So, and I could be wrong about that. I haven't maybe looked close enough to know, but... I don't know. I'm not sure that he's entirely safe for that 500, 550 plate appearances.
0: I I definitely don't disagree with that, especially with somebody who can be so, so prone to striking out. I mean, he improved actually on it this year and, and, and has looked obviously much better at the play, at least more comfortable in terms of his swings and misses, but anybody that strikes out that much is always at risk of entering a serious slump. And that can be frustrating for fantasy, but it's, also assigned a to managers that we need to get this guy out of the lineup I and mean, you've seen Alec Burleson you know Juan Yepes is up like uh, Jordan Walker's going to be knocking on the door that could move pieces around the infield and he could definitely be the the odd man out yeah so anyway uh that's enough on Tyler O'Neill. Uh, <laughs> you got a, the complete Tyler O'Neill show here uh so far we're going to take a quick break but when we come back we're going to look at some more outfielders and a couple more guys that we're going to have a hard time valuing next year Welcome back, folks, to the Keep or Cut podcast. We're breaking down players who we're having a hard time figuring out. And this one shouldn't take us long because he's recent, we put him on the list, and then I'm pretty sure recently he's been starting to hit home runs again. But, man, was it a little weird and concerning. And that's Ronald Acuna Jr., Chad, who was like the number one player in fantasy coming into this year for a lot of – well, no, that's not true because he had the ACL injury – but I know in Dynasty Leagues, he was the number one guy. And if he, if he wasn't hurt, he would have been probably the consensus number one player in fantasy. And out of nowhere, through like 430 plate appearances, he only had 11 home runs. Now, I know that number has gone up since, like I said. But what's the deal with Ronald Acuna Jr.? Is he still a slam dunk first round pick to you? Are you concerned about the power? Or are we worried about nothing here?
1: You know, I don't think I'm super concerned. Obviously, his home run per fly ball rate it's way down and his fly ball rate is down. And that's a bad combination, right? Without a doubt, that's a bad combination. And he has, I mean, for all the time he missed at the beginning of the year, he's up to 520 plate appearances now with 15 home runs. So even if you prorate that to, maybe we get really aggressive and prorate it to like the 700 plate appearances he put up in 2019, the last time he played a full season, which if he plays a full season next year, he probably pushes that 700 again. He's still looking at, like, 20 home runs, maybe a little bit more than that, maybe 22 as a pace, rather than the 41 he hit in 2019. He had, he had 24 home runs last year in 360 plate appearances. So the power is definitely, like, it's been better the last couple weeks, but it is definitely down. However, when I go look at his Statcast data, the The issue really is that fly ball rate, because his barrel rate last year he had a twenty point three percent barrel rate that's just absurd. In twenty nineteen when he hit that forty one home runs and you know twenty nineteen different ball lots going on there, but he was at a twelve point nine percent barrel rate this year. That year he's at thirteen point two this year. His career is fourteen point four. Thirteen point two is nothing to be worried about. His hard hit rate this year is 50.3%. That's above his career number, which is 49.5. It's a little down from last year, which is 53.9. But again, that's nothing to be concerned about. His max EV is 116.6. That's the second highest of his career. Last year, he was at 117.9. His average exit velocity, which is not the most important statistic, but it's 91.3. He's 91.5 for his career. Yes, he was 93.8 last year, but 91.3 is still very good. Like. Everything still looks fine. And that sort of explains why if you look at his ex-slugging, right? So you use the stat cast results to sort of predict a slugging percentage, it's a 496 instead of the 417 he's actually posted. And his X WOBA is 371 as opposed to the 336 WOBA he's actually posted. So I I think I think there's a few things at work here. One is his fly ball rate has been down. He needs to bring it back up. There is no reason for a guy who hits the ball as hard as he does to have such a low fly ball rate. The other is that he isn't hitting the ball quite as hard as he did last year, but that may change as this, you know, sorry, he's not hitting it quite as well as he did last year, but that may not, that's not a problem because he's been, he's hitting it as well as he did in previous years, and that's fine. The other thing I'm sort of looking at is His fly ball rate in September and October is 39.1%. That's still down from last year, but it's his highest fly ball rate on the season. His home run per fly ball rate is 14.8%. That's still a little low, but it's better than what he has for the year overall. And it's his second highest month of the season. And so the other thing that I think may be at work here is he came back from a pretty serious knee injury. And his ability to swing the bat is, you know, that can be hampered, right? Like we, we hear all the time from hitters about how like you get power and drive from your lower body your legs are, you know, we know how important legs are to swings and same thing for, you know, throwing the ball and everything else. And he was trying to recover from that. And I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's crazy speculation to wonder or assume or be concerned. That his mechanics weren't exactly right to start the season. That it's taken some work to get him back to where he wants to be, and that it is entirely possible that the power surge we are seeing—you know, with the four—he's got four home runs basically in the last two weeks. That that may very well be him rounding into form. No, maybe not, right? I can't. I, that might not be what it is. But over those last two weeks, his barrel rate is eighteen point eight percent, which is actually higher than last year. His launch angle is up to 15.7% after being at 11.2% total for the season. Even if we extend that back to the beginning of September, his bar- his launch angle is up, his barrel rate is up, his average exit velocity is up, like everything is trending the right direction and it's really not that bad overall. So, I am not concerned about Acuña. I am I hope other people are. I really hope other people are. I hope people are like, oh, maybe he's like a 25 home run guy instead of a 40 home run guy. Cause like, I, I'm in, I'm all in.
0: Yeah, me too. I'd, I'd have him everywhere in that case. I, I think something that's hard to keep in mind with Acuna and, and this definitely affects Soto as well as just how young these guys are. Acuna's still just 24 yeah. years old. Juan Soto, 23. And, I don't know if he talked about this at all in related to his in relation to his power recently or anything like that, but I remember Acuna talking about when he came, when he was on his way back and he eventually came back that like his knee was actually like the strongest part about him because of all the rehab he had to do and all the muscle building and that's why he was confident he was going to steal so many so many bases. I I don't want to misquote him, but I'm pretty sure he said this is the fastest he ever was. And the fantasy manager and me not the doctor, because I'm not a doctor, assumed that like, oh, the stolen bases would actually disappear, you know, but at least you'll still get the power. It'll probably take him a while to get stealing bases again. And obviously that wasn't the case. So, you know, you brought up the mechanics and I don't know if, if he felt like his legs were stronger than ever before. Could that, you know, maybe throw you off, throw off your mechanics a little bit. And you might be thinking like, well, no way, but it's major league pitching. Like you need everything to be going right to hit the ball the way you want to hit the ball. And so if he felt off because he was too muscled up or, or just had too much time off or whatever it was, you know, it is what it is. So I have to ask Chad in five by five next year, who are you drafting first? Maraldo Cunha jr. or Aaron judge
1: <laughs> depends on the rules for show. Hey, <laughs> because I think Ohtani is the first pick. If he's, if it's a daily league where you can move him back and forth, Oh, then it's Otani for sure, and it's Otani. But But, I mean, I I take that out of the right. If I have to, if it's Yahoo and I have to pick one Rotani or the other, or if it's a weekly league where I'm going to make a choice every week, um, I think I would still take Acuna first. Um, I think that Judge is. I don't know. I mean. It's hard to argue with Aaron Judge. Like he's he's putting up just obviously a tremendous tremendous season. Um, he would have my MVP vote if Keeper Cut qualified us to have an MVP vote. One day I'll have to find out. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I would give him my MVP vote this year. Like he's going he's got sixteen stolen bases. Uh, here's my concern with Judge and the reason I would go Acuna first. One is um, he's never done anything remotely close to this. Right? He's going to end up with 62, 63 home runs something like that. That's 10 more than he's put up in any other season. And last year, like just last season, he played a full season, 148 games, 33 plate appearances, and he hit 39 home runs. So if, I, if you're asking me how many home runs he's going to hit next year, I'm way more comfortable betting on life. 45 than I am on 60. And he stole 16 bases this year. Like he hadn't stolen 16 bases total over the last four seasons. And I'm not sure I really believe he's going to run that much every year. It's there. Are, there are not very many players who suddenly like at 30 decide like, okay, now I'm going to steal bases. Like, that's not usually the fact. so. So and that is, by the way, the other thing is, like, I feel like we think of Judge as being a relatively young player, and he's he's 30. So, I don't think he's, like, found some new skill with the stolen bases. Like, I don't think that's going to be a thing that he, I don't know. I, 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 you go back and look at what he did last year where he hit 39 home runs and stole six bases, and, like, that feels like a, a I, I would bet him being closer to that than to what he did this year on either of those numbers. Now, I think he outdoes that. I think he ends up somewhere in between, but I bet he's closer to 2020 than he was, or 2021 than he is to 2022. And so, I I would still take Acuna before.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I I'm almost certain I'll be taking Acuna before Judge. I do want to see where Judge ends up, um, if he's back in New York and, and, you know, they go out and get somebody like Trey Turner or something like that, then I might, I might view the floor for judges just too good to pass up. But, and, and just so folks know, I wasn't suggesting that those are my one and two overall rather just comparing to surefire first round outfielders. I think obviously Trey Turner, Jose Ramirez, you know, the usual suspects are still going to be a part of that conversation. And Mookie Betts is going to return to that conversation as well, but to get us back on track here, because I don't think we're going to have too much of a problem evaluating Aaron judge's, 2023 value but I mean I actually think I will but we don't need to go down that rabbit hole um I think you you brought it up well as good as his rookie season was you know he he's never really done this before but let's talk some Jesse Winker he was a little bit of a darling of keep or cut um and I I thought in the second half here we go Jesse Winker's going to get hot he was one of my picks to bounce back and buy low on he just didn't um Jesse Winker what what happened here
1: putting it putting it simply so for this one um about a week ago michael ahedo who used to work with us at Pitcherlist and is now i think i think he's freelancing but he's had a bunch of stuff at at baseball prospectus but he has an article september 23rd at baseball prospectus called jesse rinker jesse rinker jesse winker really has been worse which is just a very simple straightforward title uh and, and it's true um and where he sort of nets out and I'll let you go read the article. You should, if you don't have a baseball perspective subscription, it's worth it. Uh, they're, they have great stuff there and this is, this is a really good article. Um, but he comes down to sort of thinking it might be a mechanical issue. Winker's hitting a lot more pop-ups than he did before. He's not as sort of steadily hitting line drives as he has in the past. And that, you know, when you hear something like that and you read the article and it's, it's a pretty convincing case. And so then I walk out of that and think like, okay, if it's a mechanical issue, I run into two questions. One, like, is it, is there an injury behind it? Right? Like we just talked about this with Acuna, but Acuna is sort of the opposite example of like, he was coming back from an injury. He might need a time to work his way back. But like, and this is, I, I'm, I have no idea if Winker's hurt. So I'm just throwing something out there. But like, what if he's had a knee issue all season? And he needs to have some kind of a, you know, arthroscopic cleanup kind of thing. And they just decided, hey, it's 75%. You're still better off than than losing you for a couple months. So, like, let's just wait it out. That would explain a mechanical issue. and and, And it would give me some confidence in looking at him for next year. If it's not because he's playing hurt. And he's now had this issue seemingly all season. Because it's not like he was like on fire in March, April, May, June, and all of a sudden things fell apart and he lost his swing in July. Like it's been all year, and so I, I'm. There's a part of me that looks at him as like, if it's a mechanical issue that he hasn't been able to fix, you know, maybe he just needs the like dedicated time in the off season to like get in the cage, rework his swing, get himself back where he needs to be. But I get. Concerned when I see someone go this long without being able to resolve an issue like that, because it makes me wonder if, like, he's just not going to be able to. He's, you know, he's only twenty nine. He's not like it's at a point now where I feel like he, where, where everything should be falling apart for him. But I don't know that that article. I think it's a really good article. Go check it out. Mike is a great writer. Uh, And does really, really terrific analysis. It convinced me that there's a mechanical issue and it did not leave me feeling like, oh, well, he just needs to get right. Everything will be good after that. It's it's taken him a long time and it's not really improving.
0: Yeah, it is not a pretty situation for Jesse Winker. And, uh, you know, if you just look at the surface, like, this is a guy who, his entire career, his splits have been really bad against lefties. Everybody knows that with Jesse Winker. So you start factoring that in. You look at how bad of a season it was, and he's going to be thirty years old on a team that, like, if they have Suarez, DHing, if they have an outfield that already has Rodriguez and Haniger as fixtures. All of a sudden, Jared Kelnick, I'm not going st- to start hyping him up. And I think there's actually a pretty good chance he gets traded. But if he doesn't, you know, he's someone who could be vying for play time. I think my point is, I think Jesse Winker is going to be almost free in drafts next year. So if you think there's still something left in the tank, you'll probably have him in a lot of spots. But I'm worried about a lot. I'm worried about the fact that he's going to be on the wrong side of 30. I'm worried that his splits have always been pretty bad. Even though he hit better against lefties this year, we hit 237. That's really not saying much. If anything, that's more concerning. If Jesse Winker can't hit righties, well, we know he's not going to hit lefties. That's a problem. Um, and now you factor in you know, the fact that he's on a team that's not great American ballpark and he's not going to be playing pretty much every day. He is on a team that's going to be competitive to win those plate appearances, to win those at-bats, so Uh, Jesse Winker probably going to be free probably definitely going to be the cheapest out of the names that we've mentioned so far be it Suzuki O'Neal and obviously Acuna so if you still like Jesse Winker he really burned me in the second half you'll probably have him on a lot of teams next year if you're in a league with me you'll probably have him on your team
1: (laughs) yeah I I will say I think I I do think it's worth noting that his his ex woba is 345 versus his 310 woba his ex-batting average is much higher than his average like He's been, I think he has been better than he has looked on the surface, even though he has still been meaningfully worse than we expected or than he was last year. And so I do think if you go back and look at like, you look at sort of what he did in 2019, Maybe 2019 plus 2020, like the combination of those two years was, I think he could be something like that, but with less power. Like those two seasons, he combined for 567 plate appearances. He had 28 home runs. He was hitting uh, 265 between those two years. He had a 367 on base. Like, I think he could be... Back to something sort of like that two-year combination, but without the benefit of the 2019 baseball. And so instead of 28 home runs, maybe closer to 20, yeah, 23, something like that. So I, I, I might, and that's if he gets up to you know 560, 570 plate appearances, which, um, this year is actually like, he's gonna be at 500. He's at 539 plate appearances. Actually, he's a little higher than that now, right? Because he, as of today. He is at 543 plate appearances, and that is already a career high. So I, I'm, you know, 500, 500 plate appearances with 18 to 20 home runs and a 260 ish average, I think is where he could end up.
0: And and I think that could give him a pretty safe floor and depending on the format, because when you factor in the elite plate discipline, we're talking about a strikeout rate beneath 20% and a, and a walk rate that's almost 99%. Time. I mean, he's walking 15% of the time. You know, that, that all of a sudden makes me feel a little bit better about him in certain formats. Um, so we'll see. We'll see if it was if it is just a mechanical thing. He's going to be had for a bargain in a lot of drafts next season. So I thought we were mixing it up for a second. I was like, oh, we don't have an outfielder. But no, Cattell Marte is absolutely an outfielder. And no player burned me more in fantasy baseball this year than Cattell Marte. Cattell Marte nuked. every In the leagues I won, I had Cattell Marte. But in the leagues I lost, it was because I had Cattell Marte. I just had him everywhere, Chad. And he was nothing short of a disaster. And yet you look under the hood, and a lot of the reasons why we like Cattell Marte are still... There. So what happened to Cattell Marte this year? And, and why do you have him on this list as guys who are really hard to evaluate for next season?
1: So I think the other thing that, that jumps out at me about Marte, the thing that jumps out at me is, you know, we, we've talked about him on the show. And I, I had him on a couple teams and felt the same way that it felt like all year he was just like dragging me down. He was awesome in May, June, and July. That's like half the season. He was terrible in April. Right, he had a 30 WRC plus in April, then a 171 in May, 144 in June, 152 in July. Like he was awesome, and then it was 40 in August, and has been 68 in September and October so far. So like, he went through a stretch there though of half a season where he was just fantastic. Like I, I mean, and it really started before the end of April. I mean, if I go from from the start of the season till April 28th, he had a WRC plus of 16. From April 29th through, let's call it July 27th. Right? This is 281 plate appearance. So about half a season, he had a 164 WRC plus. And, you know, dig, looking at like what was going on in that stretch versus the rest of the season. His overall walk rate and strikeout rate on the season are 9.9% for walk and 18.1% for strikeout. Those are actually good numbers, right? That's, that's a good walk rate. That's a fine strikeout rate. During that stretch, that half season in the middle, right? 13.2% walk rate and 14.2% strikeout rate. Now, if you keep in mind that the numbers I, I cited before were his whole season, including that stretch... Like you can see how like he was striking out way too much and walking way too little outside of that window. Um, he had a 3.37 up during that stretch versus 2.76 for the season as a whole. So again, much much lower BAPIP. And he's a guy who like he's a 3.11 career BABIP. The last three seasons coming into this one, 3.42, 3.11, 3.52, which makes sense because he's a pretty good base runner who hits the ball hard right i mean like so i I'm, i i'm a little concerned about the strikeout rate and walk rate because they got real bad during chunks of the season even though they were great during other parts i also think his uh his home run per fly ball rate dropped and it doesn't really appear to be a ton of batted ball issues like Yes, his barrel rate is down, his hard hit rate is down, but like they're they're still above where he's been for his career. The issue seems to me, or, or I'm not gonna say seems to me, I worry that his issue is tied to the ball being less homer prone this year than it has been in the past. And, you know, he still has that great max exit velocity and that very good average exit velocity, but he's not hitting the ball. When he hits it hard, he hits it very, very hard, but he doesn't actually have that high a hard hit rate anymore. And I don't know, I'm, I'm wondering if this was just a a case where you just can't, I don't know, you can't rely on him to hit the ball hard enough, often enough to take full advantage of how hard he's capable of hitting. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And. I mean, I think some of this was to be expected, not necessarily the the random swings and strikeouts to walk rate, but like his BABIP was down at 276. But part of that is like a change that I welcome because I think your BABIP is going to take a hit when you're hitting more fly balls than you have ever done before in your career. So he's like his fly ball rate was by far the highest of his career it was twenty five point three percent, and his pull rate was the highest of his career, which was forty two point seven percent, and that's what I want to see from guys when I want them to hit home runs, and I think you nailed it. You brought up the baseballs. I think they must they had to have affected Catal Marte when you look at those two numbers, because this should have been maybe his best power production season ever, um, hard hit rate being right. down or not.
1: Well, we talked a little bit. Remember earlier in the season when the ball was really, really hampering power. We talked about how the uh, the humidor, right? Every park having a humidor was gonna over the course of the season things would balance out, power would come back, and it has, right? Power's been more where we expected it to be for most of the season. Arizona was one of the parks that already used a humidor that wouldn't have been impacted by that, and I, you know, maybe that's maybe that's really what it comes down to, is it's just he's hitting the ball as hard, and it's just not traveling as far. And if that's the case, then the increase in fly ball rate is not what you want to see, right? right. Like, if he's going to carry, uh, you know, his home run per fly ball rates have never been elite, right? Last year, his best power year was 2019. There was 19%. Last year, it was 15.6%. 2020, it was just 3.8%. He's at 10.4% for his career, 7.8% this year if he's going to hover in that eight to 10 range, instead of in that 15 to 20 range, then those added fly balls are not going to help him that much. And, you know, the only year we've really seen him at a, at a sort of another level in terms of power was that 2019 rabbit ball season. So I think most, like a lot of these guys we've come back and been like, Oh yeah, I'll be back in on them next year. And, There is a price at which I'll be back in on Cattell Marte, but it's going to have to come down a lot because I think I'm just not sure that 30 home run power is coming back.
0: I think it's gone, and like, no matter how much you want to dive into it, the fact that he's at 558 plate appearances—that's a lot. Like, I I don't know if I'd expect more next year. I know he's on the IL now, and that's going to play a part on his on his total, but like, through 558 plate appearances. 68 runs 12 homers 52 rbi five stolen bases and a 240 average so even if he does get a little bit more luck in the home run to fly ball rate and he gets a little bit more luck on the babbitt like i don't know if the ceiling is as high as we thought it was definitely not as high as i seem to have thought it was because i had him once again on every single team so we're cooling on Marte a little bit. I would still, if we're ranking these guys so far, I've got obviously Acuna first, and I'm just going to rank them because they're all outfielders. I have Acuna, then I'm going to take O'Neill, then Suzuki, then Quetel Marte, then Jesse Winker. And I know this next name would definitely come in last on that list, but he is still kind of hard to evaluate. I think in most places he'll go undrafted. It might end up, or it might be, Dependent upon where he is playing next season. But that is Joey Gallo, who, Chad, you put him on this list. I'm just kind of out on Gallo. I I think I'm done with him. But what is there that would make you think, like, you know what? I'm going to draft Joey Gallo next year for free and see what I get.
1: I think the, the biggest question with Gallo is just, I still don't really know that I understand what happened. I just don't understand how he went from a guy who hit, like, He struck out a ton, he had low batting averages, and he walked a ton, but had 41 home runs in 2017, 40 in 2018, then hit 22 in about half a season in 2019, then hit 10 in the shortened season in 2020, and even last year, he hit 38, and then this year, he has 18, and he's not really, like, he's on pace to be way below the pace he was at before, like, does he strike out a lot? Yes, but he's always struck out a lot. Does he walk a lot? Yeah, and he's always walked a lot. Like his BAPF is low, and it's actually lower than it's ever been, and so I think some of what happened to him this year, there's some some rebound coming there. But like, I just don't understand what happened to his home run per fly ball rate, and like his average exit velocity is the lowest of his career. His max exit velocity is his lowest except for 2016, and in 2016 he had six batted balls. Like his his barrel rate is actually sort of fine. His hard hit rate is sort of fine. Like, I just, I, I, I guess I just, I don't get it. So maybe that's why I'm having a hard time evaluating him. Is like, wh- what happened that he just lost the ability to hit for power? And I, I kind of think, and I could be wrong, but I kind of think that he needs to go somewhere. Like, so he's a, he is a free agent after this season, correct? I think that's right.
0: I think you're right. I'm not 100% sure. I'll look that up and, while you're yeah. talking.
1: Yeah. Um. He, no, he is. So he is a free agent. I'm, I'm looking at his Fangraphs page. It says free agent 2023. Yep. So that should answer that. Um. And I think he needs to sign a one-year incentive-laden contract with a team that will promise him everyday playing appearances. That's it. I don't think he should worry about going to a winner. I don't think he should be like maybe he, you know, maybe he'll get a ring this year with the Dodgers anyways, but like don't even bother going to like like do not go to a team that will feel the pressure or have the desire or even have the option to put him on the bench. Because part of me thinks he just needs to actually be out on the field every day getting into a rhythm and he can go back to being you know, not the, not the 2019 version of himself where he hit 253 and like everything seemed to be going well until he only played half a season, but back to 2017, 2018 version of himself. And like, that was a good player. Even last year. I mean, you're like, he plays good defense. He runs the base as well. He he was worth 4.2 wins last year. He's going to be, he's going to put up a one, almost a one win season. He's at 0.7 this year. 0.7 F4 in Two thirds ish of a season of playing time where he's been as bad as he's ever been. Like, he is a league average bat, or, or I'm sorry, a league average player overall. He's a two, like, there's no reason he can't be a two win player pretty easily. If he had gotten 600 plate appearances this year, he would be a two win player or a one and a half win player ish. And that's as bad as he's been. So I just think he needs to, like, go somewhere, get regular playing time, and try to get his his power back and and maybe it's as much as like, you know, with the the shift gone, he can just go back to focusing on smashing the ball. The shift seems to have gotten in his head. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just confused. I just don't understand how he fell so far when most of the profile looks the same.
0: Well, I think two things are going to affect his draft value next year the most. And number one is, where he ends up, like you said, if he does end up someplace where he can get consistent playing time, like wouldn't you just, it sounds like so stupid because you say this about every single player, but wouldn't it be great if you just went to Colorado, like go someplace where there's no pressure, let him DH, bat between, you know, Chris Bryant, CJ Crone, or something like that um, and get his confidence back up. But the other thing is going to be obviously the ban and the shift, which I think people will probably over. Blow for Gallo, how impactful that's going to be at the same time. It's that the mental part of the game that we, as fantasy analysts, have no business even trying to evaluate. But if he looks out at a clean field and isn't constantly worried, like, oh, here we go, I'm going to pull the ball really hard and I'm still not going to get a hit, you know, could that obviously, you know, help him out? I think we saw his first week with the Dodgers or his first like seven games, whatever it was with the Dodgers, we had like three home runs. I think being in Yankee Stadium beat this guy down. And you know why I think that? Because he said it. And I'm gonna take his word for it. Because what else would I have to go on on something like this? And so, you know, if it is the end of drafts and Gallo is in a spot, like you said, where he's just guaranteed everyday plate appearances, the shift is gone. I could see myself late in a draft if I needed power, just throwing a dart. I do think he's another guy who's going to be free. If he's not, it's it's gonna be a, a very small cost just because there's going to be all that hype about the ban of the shift, but I don't know. You you're kind of making me come around here by just saying like what happened because nothing should have changed on paper. And that does kind of lead me to believe that there was a little bit of the mental game at play here. I just have a hard time saying that as fact when, you know, I don't know the guy and, and, and we can't really say stuff like that without hearing it from the horse's mouth. I,
1: I feel less weird saying about it with him than with others, because he said it it's like, he has talked about the shift. He has talked about how much playing in New York Hampered him. Like, you know, I feel like sometimes we all we we speculate and like Yankees fans in particular love to speculate and like, oh, this guy can't handle the pressure playing in the big apple, blah, 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 blah. Like they it's like their favorite thing. As if they've won
0: a World guy. Series in the last decade.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'll let you do the trash talking. But they <laughs> love they love to make those comments. And I just uh I usually I'm like, eh, I don't know if that's it. Like that seems that seems overblown. But you know, Gallo, it wasn't so much playing in New York. It was just like he was getting booed constantly. He got such negative attention from the fans, and like I understand why that drags someone down. So yeah. I'm more comfortable making that speculation with him than others because he's talked about it and because it seems real.
0: Yeah, that's fair. So let's talk about another outfielder because there's clearly a theme to this episode. Um, this was a late addition to the list. I wanted to throw him on there, and that is Taylor Ward, who Chad, I'm gonna read you Taylor Ward's WRC pluses by month in April. It was just 257 in April. Just 257. That's it,
1: 257. Yeah. That's like a decent batting average.
0: <laughs> <laughs> It'd be an amazing batting average for Joey Gallo. Um yeah. in 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 may it went all the way down to 194 so he only had a 194 wrc plus in may now this is where the shoulder injury came in where he said he was having shoulder issues spent some time a long time actually on the il in june he had a 77 wrc plus in july a 71 wrc plus in august an 86 wrc plus and here we are in september which isn't entirely true because we're recording here on october 1st but in september He had a WRC plus of 197. Now, there's a lot about this guy that's that's, that's hard because he's going to be 29 years old next year. This is like the first year I've ever heard the name Taylor Ward. He's going to be 29 next year. And when you put everything together, what was his final WRC plus? Well, it was 140. He's had a hell of a season. What are we doing with Taylor Ward going into next year? Because I'm not going to lie. I mean, so far ranking these names I have a pretty clear ranking in my head and not that that was the point of this episode, but I honestly don't know where I'd put Taylor Ward and I'm kind of getting a little bit more excited about him as the season comes to a close. So Chad thoughts on Taylor Ward.
1: I was in on Taylor Ward early this year and I'm going to be again next year. I'll be high on him. I think, um, you know, to me, it's, it's, there's a couple things. One, yes, there was a shoulder injury, But I think the bigger thing is, like, I was a little worried that for a while that his, like, incredible start was then, you know, the league figured him out and everything fell apart and fine. But, like, he's bounced back in such a big way to close the season that it gives me a lot of hope for next year. Um, I have no idea where I would take him. My, My tentative answer is one round earlier than his ADP, whatever that is, <laughs> which is uh, a little bit, uh, it's its sort of a cop-out answer, but it's my way of saying that, like, I think he'll end up, I think there'll still be enough questions around him that he won't go as early as I think he should.
0: Yeah, I like that. I, and honestly, I'm I'm kind of with you on that. If you look at the stack cast sliders, which is such a cop-out, I, like, he looks incredible. Like, this guy does everything. He has... Great plate discipline. He hits the ball super hard. He's quick. Like, (laughs) it's hard not to like Taylor Ward, and yet you look at the final results, and they're kind of so-so. You see he's 29 years old, but then you look at those splits by month, and you get excited again. So he is kind of someone who's tough to value for next year. I do agree. I I think I'm going to be, unless he's being drafted as like a top 150 guy. Um, uh, then I'm probably going to be like you, I'm going to be maybe around earlier on him. I like him more than Gallo. Obviously I like him more than Winker. I think I might like him more than Cattell Marte, um, which would probably put me in a, in a camp where I'm going to end up with him on a lot of teams. I'm just, I, I feel like with Cattell Marte now it's, it's, it's kind of personal. Uh, Not much more to be said on Taylor Ward, and I know we're up against the clock, but I did want to bring up one final name that we had here on this list, and that is O'Neal Cruz, who I had it up in front of me. I know he hadn't struck out because this was a stat that was being pushed um, by Frank Stamfle of CBS that he hadn't struck out in his last five games, which for any player we would kind of laugh at. But to Frank's point, and of course, I'm looking at his numbers for today, and and this is all going to be useless. Uh, but to Frank's point, for this player, it's kind of a big deal because he was striking out so much. He went five starts in a row without striking out. And, of course, today he went 0 for 3 with three strikeouts, which I guess kind of – He struck out three yeah. times yesterday too. <laughs> oh, okay, that that must be what so, I – oh, yeah, you know what? He wasn't in the lineup today. He struck out three times last night. Yeah. Got it. Um, yeah. But, like, all the tools, the a frame the size of Aaron Judge hits the ball a thousand bajillion miles an hour – um in just three hundred and fifteen at bats, seventeen homers, nine steals. And honestly, a two thirty average is not gonna completely kill you in today's game. So thoughts on O'Neill Cruz? He doesn't fit our outfield theme, but uh you were high on him, as was I, going into the season. You still high on O'Neill Cruz? I,
1: I am, but I think that strikeout rate is a is a thing to watch. It's been it's thirty-six percent for the year, and you know, the last month and a half ish, I think it's been down closer to 32%. And so like, he's showing he's showing the progress you want to see. And so that's where I'm excited, intrigued. You know, I think you look, I don't know, We'll, we'll see how it all plays out. But like, it's at least been trending down lately, and so that makes me feel like there's some hope that he can really bring that strikeout rate down. The nice thing is he hits the ball hard enough that I think you can draft him and still get value even if the strikeout rate doesn't come down. So the strikeout rate coming down is is about upside. Um, the risk is perhaps that if the strikeout rate doesn't come down, he will possibly find himself back in the minors at some point working on that i don't know so but i i I, he's shown at times that he can maintain a better strikeout rate than his season long and it's just a matter of getting into that consistently and so i see that upside there um but i'm i I guess i would say is this draft him assuming the strikeout rate is going to be high and if you, if it comes and draft him based on that value, and if it comes down great, it's a bonus.
0: Yep. I, I think that's a fair way to look at it. And, you know, the thing that really hurts Cruz the most is something that's not his fault, but that position is just so deep. Um, you know, it, it will help that he's going to steal bases, but we kind of expect stolen bases to go up around the league next year. So that might make that a little bit less valuable um, And shortstop is just such, such a deep position. And who trusts the pirates, you know, like, come on, who, who wants to trust the pirates? So I think that'll do it for us, Chad. Uh, a lot of good outfield talk, folks. Thank you so much for listening all season. Um, it's been another fun season for Keeper Cut as we approach our third season together. Oh, man, that's that's something. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, follow the show at at keep or cut. Follow Chad at at Chad Young. You can follow me at at Pete B baseball folks thanks again for a great season we'll see you in a couple of weeks